friends, it's Amy, and I'm here to introduce to you today our podcast. We are featuring a rebroadcast of an episode that we recorded early in our podcast journey with Bishop Lee Miller, the Bishop of the Upstate New York Synod of New York, and this interview with him was recorded in May 2022. You will notice in the conversation that it was recorded shortly after the mass shooting at the Tops Market in Buffalo, and we talked with him a little bit about his leadership as a bishop during a time like that. We're rebroadcasting this interview because we wanted, again, to give you a chance to hear from Bishop Miller. We are pleased that Bishop Miller is going to be visiting the congregation that we serve, Bethlehem Lutheran in Fairport, on February 11th to lead Sunday worship, to preach, and to have an opportunity to talk the congregation that we serve. And so we thought this would be a helpful way to reacquaint ourselves with Lee, with his voice, to learn a little bit more about him. We hope that you, wherever you are, will be able to join that worship service. As always, on Sunday mornings, we worship at 855 on the corner of Perrin Street and Church Street in Fairport. We're also available um, for live stream if you are not able to be physically present. We hope that you will join us for that, and we're always so grateful for your attention and your listening to the work that we do through this podcast. Wherever you are, I hope that you have a great week, and we look forward to being with you again together next week. Welcome to this very special episode of Living the Word With, and we have our first special guest, Bishop Lee Miller of the Upstate New York Synod of the ELCA. Welcome, Bishop Miller. Thank you so much. So good to be with you. We are delighted to have you here. Bishop Miller was just elected last summer and took office, what was it, September 1st was your first official day. So we're still in your first year as our bishop, and it's a great privilege to have a chance to share conversation with you today. It is a privilege for me to be with you. Thank you so much. So would you start by just telling us, we've said who you are and what you do, but can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Who lives in your house? How do you define your role as the bishop? Just wherever you want to go with that. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, What a privilege um, uh, to serve in this way and to serve with you and with your community. Um, So I live uh, in the northern suburbs of Buffalo, New York. Uh, Kenmore, New York was the first suburb of Buffalo and so uh, first ring suburb of the city. Uh, And here with uh, my spouse, Heather, we just yesterday celebrated 24 years of uh, marriage and but 24 years, it, it both, you can count the, the seasons that have gone on in life and sure. the, the challenges and opportunities. And also it feels like yesterday and we can't believe it's gone by so fast. Congratulations. Uh, thank yeah, you so much. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank, yeah. And it's long enough also, and it's not quite 25 years. So there was no big, huge thing. It was like, <laughs> yes, happy anniversary. We're tired. Let's go to sleep. Our son Griffin is 13 and is finishing up eighth grade at uh, Kenmore West High School. And this evening we'll share his faith statement with our home congregation as he prepares for confirmation. So we are about to be the parents of a confirmand on Pentecost Sunday coming up. And we live here with our dog, Kirby, who's a black Labrador retriever. And it's just the most loving creature created by God that I have ever encountered. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so we feel very privileged, very fortunate to be in this place. And 
serving in the first year as a synod bishop, it's the joys and challenges are both incredible. And certainly last week, we know about the the massacre that happened here in Buffalo. And so to go through the experience of grief and mourning and tragedies of racism that, that were at the motives for that event. And so being present to care for the community in that time, in addition to the daily work of caring for congregations and leaders. Actually, related to that, Bishop Miller, I would, was wondering if we're recording this about 10 days after the shooting in Buffalo. It's going to be broadcast in the future, but just for our audience to have some context of that. I'm wondering if you could just share with us a little bit of insight about how you as a bishop make the determination and the discernment about how and where you are going to be present in the aftermath of something like the violence. I'm curious to know how a bishop makes those decisions. And I bet, I bet our congregation would be really curious to hear about that too. Yeah, thanks. I think I certainly had done some pre-thought before anything had happened because you watch events like this happen in other parts of our country and other parts of the world. And maybe especially as a parish pastor, you wonder, hey, is the bishop showing up there? Is, uh, and what is the church? Maybe there's also a question of when we are wondering as communities, what does the church have to say about such a time as this. And so when the shooting happened at Pulse nightclub in Orlando, I, I know as a parish pastor, I wondered, how does the church show up for a place like that? Or when it happened at a movie theater in Colorado. And sadly, we have too many examples, examples. too many opportunities to um, have given this some forethought. And so I think I began to function as if I was a parish pastor and that was the community in the neighborhood where we were serving or or in where we can, th can think of as the community of our congregations and parishes, if I was a parish pastor in that place, would I be showing up? And so that might have been a first bar of what I was thinking about is if I was ministering in that neighborhood, would, would I be present? Is this kind of thing need us to come together as a community to pray? And so on, on the synod bishop level, thinking about the whole upstate New York synod as one church together. And yeah. certainly the first thing I learned after the election was all of a sudden I did not think parochially and locally, but was thinking about us as 160 congregations, really one church together with 160 campuses. So my <laughs> first reaction in this was to call pastors first, beginning with those who have charge for the neighborhoods around the mm -hmm. Jefferson Avenue tops. And so Reverend Kwame Pitts and Dr. Julius Carroll and Pastor Brenda Mayner, and then expanding yeah. out from that Pastor Jeremiah Smith and Pastor Steve Bigner and others around the area who are serving in these neighborhoods. And so just, I think, discerning, is there a role for people of faith to be present in, in supporting a community? And then I would if it had happened in a small town, in a rural area of our uh, synod, I would want to be present there as well. Uh, and then be, again, working with our partners first who are local and on the ground in support of our communities and our rostered leaders, um, but then expanding that out to, to broader community partners. And in this case, the assailant came from another part of our synod. And mm -hmm. so how do we also talk about racism and white supremacy throughout our synod? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks no, for sharing that. That's a, it's just helpful to have, it's helpful to hear that from you about how you approach that and how you think about that. So thank you for that. Yeah. 
And what I hear is just this really core value of showing up. You use the word being present over and over again. And that's certainly in what we're nine months into your leadership. We haven't had that kind of tragedy in our backyard, but I've certainly experienced you as a bishop who wants to show up, picking up the phone and calling, sending an email, trying to be present in virtual spaces, in-person spaces to accompany us through life. And so I'm grateful that you showed up on our behalf or alongside yes. the church in that place in the midst of that grief and tragedy. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank that's, you. I just want to say that's one of the things that I always appreciate about being part of a larger church is the ways that we, that we individually can show up for something much bigger than just ourselves. And so when you show up in those places, as you have been, you're there as yourself, you're there as a bishop, but you're there on our behalf too. And I'm just really grateful for that. My, my uncle Kenny is a, was a swim coach, high school swim coach. And when I was not doing well, and I don't know if it was high school math or high school Spanish, he said, Lee, showing up is 90%. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't know. What if I don't know Pelagorhythm's theory or see, I don't even know what the word is. He said, you need to keep showing up. And so was one of my first teachers for, for saying how important that is. And certainly it is for us in ministry. And that is true for you as well in your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little about some of the people or the experiences that have led you to this point in your ministry? A little bit about your sense of call and how you got where you are. Oh, thank you. I guess towards the sense of a call in a synod-wide or a church-wide call, in addition to the call to ministry, which is, I think we do because God makes us, you try to do other things and eventually the Holy Spirit catches up and she knocks you over, or at least in my case, felt she was slamming symbols around my head saying, you're coming to work for us. You're coming to work for us. <laughs> uh, so that was the call to ministry. And, but a leader for me in thinking about us as church together was former Bishop Claire Burkett. Okay. And in my first call in New Jersey, she was our director for evangelical mission. She was our division for outreach person. Yep. And she would show up and want to walk the neighborhood of your community congregation with you. She would ask you some numbers like who's in worship, how many, and what's your budget. But her question around the budget was really about what is the mission that is happening in this place? And how does that show up in these varieties of data points? She then would become my bishop when we were serving in Philadelphia. And again, had a power and presence and a drive and certainly talked, her, her mantra was, God has a mission and, and we are it, and you are. <laughs> so she really was intentional about how God is at work leading us and guiding us at that and time. And the church that, is the people. The That's what I'm hearing people. in that. Yeah. yeah. It's and not then, as much about what we do. It's about who we are. Amen. Amen. And who God has formed us to be yeah. and Ubuntu philosophy and following in Bishop Burkett's role is Bishop Patricia Davenport. And then she was our assistant to the bishop in, in Philadelphia and too led with an openness and a directness that became very inspiring. Those are two pretty amazing leaders. I, I happen to know both of them and they are, they are gifted and amazing leaders in the yes, church. They are. Yes, they are. And, and, and they are so, each a force. Yes. Um, is my experience of them. And so I've just learned in so much in the best possible them. way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like some of the people 
that have gone before you in this role have really been inspirational. And you see yourself as walking, maybe not in their footsteps, but on the path they have trod and helped to shape for the office. Yeah, I was raised in upstate New York, which gives me a love for our whole synod and all of our communities and congregations, but the models for ministry, I've been fortunate to have that opportunity to serve in three synods and see models from such a rich variety of of folks. Yeah. You talked a little bit earlier about how you make the determination to be present in a time of disaster. I guess the other thing I think people might be curious to just hear about, and I'm always curious to hear about is What's just a typical day like in the life of a bishop? What does the day look like? What do you do? Is there a typical day? Is there a typical day? Yeah, that's a great question too. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly, like there, we all try to find a balance, right? So So maybe I'll take that as if a day is feeling balanced. And I, my first thought is, and I don't mean this to sound cliche, but it, but it certainly begins and ends with prayer. And for me, that doesn't necessarily look a formal way. I think the prayer in the morning is. Oh God, here we go. And if I do that before I've looked at my calendar, I think it helps if I do it after I looked at my calendar, there's still a a spirit of please help me with these things that I see and these conversations that, that may be needed. And my prayer towards the end of the day might happen when I'm running, which I tend to do either early morning or later evening. And it's a processing of the day and it's been an opportunity to give thanks. In between those prayers, there may be about 50 emails or so a day that I've read or processed and moved through and and that all need somewhat thoughtful responses and answers. Uh, Bless you. So it is a lot of email. That might have been one of my surprises, just how much email it is Mm -hmm. Um, and and that each of them are important. and, And anyone, by the time you've written to me, you might have tried other people for responses and I need to be thoughtful about those. And then conversations with lay leaders, roster leaders, communities and congregations, and a combination of, I think a lot of the role is complex problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so it's working with our deans and our executive staff and, and other leaders around the synod to help look at situations, not with binary uh, solutions, but complex uh, problems require complex solutions sometimes. So, so doing some of that problem solving and um, working with really good people in different areas to say, how do we come at this particular challenge uh, in this time? Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a lot yeah. about your sensitivity to reading the context and not just applying previous answers to current problems, but that's part of what makes them complex is looking at all of the different variables and I think some of that is, is rooted in the some of what we would acknowledge, and I don't know where you'll go in future conversations or could with podcasts, but there's systemic racism, white supremacy, and patriarchy in our, in our church-wide system, in our synodical system, in, in our institution. And sometimes yes. the way that comes out practically is we set some policies as a church together in 1993 that are no longer appropriate. Mm-hmm. Some of them maybe weren't, wouldn't have been appropriate in 1993, but those who were coming up with the complex solutions at that time were limited in their diversity and their in the search for equity and inclusion. And so I think part of what's happening is, and of course, where we are as a mainline denomination in the 21st century requires us to look at some new models and some new systems, I think. Yeah. Um, and so thank you for doing that important yeah. work of not not simply accepting the mantle of the status quo, 
but asking the question of what is faithful in this time and place. And asking that question of our policies, of our procedures, as well as of the ways that we come together and whose voices are heard so that we can listen faithfully and lead faithfully in this time and place. Yeah. And That's I, hard you know, and I'm, faithful. You know, because I bring it up, I want to acknowledge I, I'm complicit in this system and I benefit it from it as a cisgendered white male person, I benefit from the way that the system is designed. And so it, it's really is my own work to uh, uh, checking that privilege on a daily basis. And when I hear in myself, the individual competitive competitiveness or a default to binary thinking become some of those moments when trying to recognize in myself, when I go back to the, to that way and the patriarchy real it's the air I breathe. Um, mm-hmm. And so how to recognize that for myself and not saying that for recognition, but saying that as an acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe how fast our time is going. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. This is so much fun. <laughs> we have, we have a kind of a rapid fire five that we want to end with, but before we go to that, I just want to ask, is there anything else that you would want us or the community that's listening to this to know about you or the work that you do? I think for me, it really, I wonder if I am starting to turn into different cliches and my little catchphrases and and things like that. But (laughs) so part of it is I want to tell people that I mean it, that truly when I was asked what was different after the election, the only thing that went off like a switch was that the parish seemed much wider than I ever thought before. And I think sometimes as Lutherans, we can think, oh, that church down the road, they're so big. We're so small. Some other body can't do it. We can't do it. We, in in the Synod, we are one church with 160 campuses. I should know those statistics for who we are as one church together as an ELCA, don't quite three and a half million folks together, but we are a force for the sake of the world. And we truly believe in this gift of grace of God's transformational love and that it, it liberates people, ourselves, yes, and others. So I think we have a gift to share with the world. And I think what you're doing here is thinking creatively and, and you're experimenting with how can we be more public about this incredible gift of, of generous love that we've received. So I thank you for doing what you're doing. And I want to encourage the, the people that you share life and, and community with to, to continue to keep it up and, and experiment in love. I think it's awesome. You know, the Synod for a, a lot of years talked about we are church together. And that's part of what I hear you saying, but it's easier for me to wrap my head around what that means when I actually know who the church is down the road, when I actually know who the person is in the bishop's office, because it feels like we're in it together a lot more once we've invested in those relationships. And that's why I'm grateful for conversations like this one and the chance for all of you, our listeners, to to listen into this conversation and sit at the table with us because we are in this together and and it helps to know who's by our side. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Pastor Hoffman, do you have the rapid fire five with you? I do not. Okay. So <clears throat> I am going to ask the rapid fire five today and we'll do it this way this time. Whatever first pops into your mind, Bishop, this is what we want to hear. All right. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, what caffeinated or decaf? Very oh. caffeinated. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, ah, first thought. Ah, oh, um, mint chocolate chip with a with a side of black raspberry if it's soft vanilla with rainbow sprinkles soft vanilla rainbow sprinkles final answer all right excellent (laughs) other than worship 
What is a surefire way that you have to connect with the divine Jesus, God, however you want to call it? Uh, when I am running with no music, no phone, and just speaking in my head. Awesome. What's one resource that you rely on that helps you remain grounded in your faith? Good question. In one of the first congregations I visited, the pastor gave me a tag off of a pew with a number on it. And it's, a, it's an old pew number for when people rented their pews. And it was a congregation going through transition. The old ways are gone. Something new is becoming. And so this tag had come off a pew and it has a number on it. And I wish I, I could know the number. But so every time I wear the Bishop's Cross on a Sunday, I have that pew tag in my pocket hmm. to remember congregations in transition. And so just a way for me to remember all of our congregations on any given Sunday. And that keeps me grounded. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And then final. Christmas or Easter? Wow. We didn't say these questions were fair. Yeah, binary <laughs> thinking. <at> its- <laughs> uh, uh, I love Christmas Eve and my childhood self really loves Christmas Eve. I- I've got to go with Easter and just blow the roof off and thank God for resurrection. Thank God for resurrection. Amen. Oh, thank you for being with us. This has been so much fun. I would love to have a long conversation even longer. And so maybe we'll do this again sometime, but um, this has just been a joy to spend some time with you in this way. Thank you you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a, it's an honor to be on the first episode and you are both a blessing to the whole church as is the whole community. So thank you all who are listening with us. Thank, thank you. you. We hope our conversation has given you something to sustain you between Sundays. Subscribe to Between Sundays wherever you listen to podcasts.